You're listening to The Dworkin Report, and I'm your host, Scott Dworkin. On today's podcast, I'm joined by Dr. Eric Ding. He's a Harvard epidemiologist with the singular distinction of being the first American infectious diseases specialist to loudly sound the alarm about the coronavirus in late January. But what Dr. Ding has to share with our listeners today is not only a prescription for what we need to do to crush the curve, spoiler alert, wear your masks. He also shared a bone-chilling prediction about the future of our nation if many of our elected officials continue to put fealty to con man over their duty to protect each and every American's life. The crying shame of what Dr. Ding shared is that countries who adopted masks quickly and without the immature whining about crucial public health measures are already returning to normal now, even to the point of not needing to mask up anymore. Yet here in America, we're stuck in reverse, amping up an outbreak that countless trillions of dollars were spent to stop just because science ignorance is a political reality to the Republican Party, none of whom dares to say that Donald Trump wears no clothes. Dr. Eric Ding is not a polemicist, and he isn't a pundit. He's a doctor. As someone with a pre-existing condition who's had to fight for their health throughout their entire life when a doctor speaks I listen I listen and I take action if America's elected officials uniformly listen to doctors not just Democratic Party members but every elected official we could have been out of the woods already instead I'm talking with Dr. Eric Ding about the America coronavirus epidemic the largest in the world to find out just how bad our dystopian present could become take a listen I'm here with Dr. Eric Ding. He's a Harvard public health scientist for the last 16 plus years, as well as an epidemiologist and a health economist. Hey, Doc, thank you for joining me. How are you today? I'm all right. How are you? Uh, well, you know, same given situation we're in. I'm I'm isolated. I'm I'm healthy. You know, things are are looking up. Obviously, we have a. a kind of an emergency scenario, I guess, of sorts. I want to ask you a few questions about the, the wisdom or lack thereof of Trump's plan uh, to hold an indoor political rally in Tulsa on Saturday with people across the country that probably a majority of them, even though they'll hand out masks, they're not requiring them to wear the mask inside. And then they're also going to have overflow outside of possibly one and a half times uh, uh, or two times the crowd um, size on out, uh, outside as well. Um, and they'll be in that same area and vicinity with each other for a long time. But but first, but first to start off, can you please tell our listeners a bit about yourself and about the coronavirus tweet, quote unquote, heard around the world that you posted this past January? Yeah, um, this I've been monitoring this uh, epidemic for quite a while, and even before it, you know the news reached the U.S. And so I, was, I grew really concerned in January. You know, my the information that I got from China plus the latest study basically indicated this was going to be a really, really bad epidemic. And I wanted to warn the world. And back then, I only had 2,000 Twitter followers. And so I, I had to use what I could to warn it in the loudest way possible so as many people could hear it. And so I tweeted that this will be a holy mother of God, thermonuclear level pandemic bad event. And back then in January, many people dismissed it as fear mongering. 
but you know, I wasn't because I, you know, I've been a whistleblower before as an epidemiologist against dangerous drugs that pharma has been peddling as well. But I, when I saw this, I just had to speak up and took some heat for it. But it's it's it is we are in this crazy crazy pandemic that we are in now. But uh, it's kind of bittersweet. But right now, we just have to try to find every way we can to stop the epidemic. No, and I understand. I, I helped blow the whistle on Russia in November 2016 and uh, running through the halls of Congress a few days after election. People looked at me like, are you crazy? Like, what is there's no there's no interference with Russia. New York Times is like, no, no, there was no interference. And then, like, obviously, we kept digging mm-hmm. and, and things change. And, and so, you know, uh, I'm glad that you went with your gut and trusted your gut and didn't listen to propaganda or foreign influence or or even, you know, domestic influence where they try and spin things in, in a different way. You know, talking about Tulsa. Is it actually a good public health idea? And I know, you know, this may be a leading question, but is it actually a good public health idea to hold a heavily attended large event with a crowd of up to 20,000 people who are opposed to wearing masks but packed in a tight space for hours for the sake of cheering on a speaker? Yeah, I think it, it, it is very dangerous. And, you know, I, I'm an epidemiologist first and foremost, and the data clearly shows that Oklahoma and Texas uh, as well is experiencing a really record high increase. Just compared this week versus last week, Oklahoma's cases has risen 140%. It has more than doubled and a half. And that's why I'm really concerned because we're basically walking into the, the, you know, the middle of an epidemic, a surging epidemic, and having a massive gathering of people, many of which are opposed to masks, and indoors. And I want to contrast that with a lot of the Black Lives Matter protests, because a lot of people ask this. First of all, a lot of Black Lives Matter protesters did wear masks, vast majority, and it was outdoors. So I think this is night and day when it's indoors, vast majority not wearing masks, potentially. That are both a serious, serious problem. Does the rally have, you you know about, I mean, I'm not a doctor. I just play one on TV like Trump the is there is there national implications of this like this many people coming around from around the country around the state neighboring states or whatnot and then leaving the state yeah it seems like it's going to be hard to track down people if they were infected like is it statistically at least from what i've seen it seems like there's definitely going to be or most likely there would be people that have are positive for coronavirus at the event like it's inevitable yeah. based on the numbers and, and what's been happening mm-hmm. i i like mm-hmm. how how bad could an event of twenty thousand people it how could bad be could it a very bad event it could be definitely a very bad event and we know this epidemic has a tendency to super spread whenever given the chance whether it's korea nightclubs or the new flare-up in china of in a marketplace or tons of other churches and choir practices we know that if given a chance indoors, it will super spread in a very, very uh, unpredictable way. And people from across the country coming in and then returning to where they came from also creates a huge, huge tracking problem. Luckily, they do have a registration for this event. So if Brad Parscale and the GOP, the, the Trump campaign, wanted to share for tracking purposes, for tracing purposes, they actually have a roster, which is 
better than um, most events, right? The question is, are they going to share if, if such an event? And a lot of people could actually have the virus, even if he, everyone who enters has zero fever, temperature, cough, because we know anywhere from 20 to 50% of the people with the virus are asymptomatic or pre-symptomatic and showing no signs whatsoever. But we know they are still infectious. This is why how, even if we uh, have a perfectly healthy 19, 20,000 stadium, indoor stadium of people shouting, and they all think they're healthy, it could create a super spreading event. This episode of the Dworkin Report is brought to you by Resistors Like You. We aim to keep this show independent for as long as we can. Visit DworkinReport.com to see how you can help out. One of the best ways is by hitting that contribute button in the top right and giving what you can. Thanks again for your support. Let's get back to the show. Uh, well, we have you here and you, you brought it up in your epidemiologist and I, I'm not. I have to ask you about a new study uh, and I'm not sure how reliable it is, but it's about asymptomatic carriers. It's in nature.com, which says that they too asymptomatic carriers exhibit physical symptoms. How important do you think that could be and why? Yeah, um, it's, I think asymptomatic carriers is one of those, it's the most pernicious part of this virus. It is the reason that once you squash everyone who's sick, they keep flaring up in Korea, in China, and tons of other places where you think you have solved the epidemic. And so this is why it is such a such a problem. And with so many people coming together, asymptomatically transmitting it, they might feel fine. And again, oftentimes it's young people, 20 to 29, who are the largest people who are super spreading and initiating outbreak clusters that they will bring it back to mom, dad, grandma and grandpa. And that will create a serious problem. How does what you've, you've said you know, about the event in Tulsa apply to, say, for example, AMC movie theaters recently announced that they won't require mask wearing because in the CEO's mind, it's quote unquote, too political. You know, how does that uh, apply to, to things like that? Yeah, well, first of all, the pandemic is not political. The virus could care less about your political ideologies. All the virus can care about is are you going to spray me in droplet form when you talk, when you laugh, when you cough? And, you know, is there anyone in the vicinity to catch it if I'm not wearing a mask? And the other key thing is you're actually also endangering the workers because that's actually the number one reason that uh, secondhand smoking and smoking restaurants was banned because uh, it's actually endangering workers, even if a business wants to allow, you know, customers to, to do it because, Workers there are not able to choose to avoid it, right? And, and that's why in movie theaters, I think it's really irresponsible to say, hi, oh, you can choose if you want. No, for public health sake, we need everyone to wear a mask. And wearing a mask is a, is a matter of social responsibility because masks protects others from you, especially cloth masks. And that's why in order for it to work, everyone has to do it. And we know that if you everyone wears it, we can avoid social distancing if 95% of the people wear it, and we can lower an R not a four down to less than one and stop the epidemic. And I think that is way less painful to just wear a mask 
than to have shutdowns and lockdowns. So it's a little bit of inconvenience to avoid ton of pain. And so I just wish people would just adopt this simple measure. And again, it's not like permanent castration or vasectomy of your manhood that uh, many on the, on the right feel that it is that makes them feel weak or look weak. No, it is, it is the most sensible thing and it's way less painful than a, a nationwide lockdown. Right. And I don't want to wear a mask. I don't want to stay at home. I don't want to do any like I don't I don't want to. It's not like, yeah, ha, I want to force you to wear a mask or, or whatever. It's it's just it's the, the right thing to do. And I, I get that some people have anxiety about it. But I, I mean, I'm pretty sure everybody has anxiety because it's a reminder on your face that, hey, there's an epidemic right now. You need to be careful about what you're doing. It's it's just really it's really hard to grasp exactly why they the widespread kind of lies it's about oh, master so so is it possible to is it possible to even i guess they call crush the curve without if people are out and about and we're not wearing masks can we just expect a sooner second wave is the first wave never going to end like like how no. bad are the implications and is the only way we can quote unquote crush the curve by wearing masks in public if we're going to be in public yeah, I think social distancing is not enough without masks. We know it slows it slows it down. And look, we've kind of ended up on this Mesa plateau in our country, right? And and now it's going back up again. It just adoption of mask wearing in all the other countries, uh, especially Asia, were really really comprehensive, or the lockdown was way tighter. But here in the U.S., our lockdowns. By the way, our lockdown rules are half a page. Our waivers and exemptions are two pages long. Our lockdowns are very, very laissez-faire, uh, very weak, and our mask compliance is incredibly low. And altogether, this just creates a terrible formula in which you know, we're unable to crush the curve. And whether we're in second wave or first wave, it's, it's semantics. In some ways, you know, Arizona and Oklahoma are having their first surge, right? But, but in the U.S., technically... I would say we're in the second peak of the first wave because we never even crushed the first wave at all. Wow. Uh, recently, Trump said again that the coronavirus is going to, quote, unquote, go away. Is it really going away? What is the reality of how bad it's become all across America right now? Yeah, it's not going to go away by itself. We know by the uh, dynamics of this virus right now that this is a, this is a pandemic virus that's here to stay until we have a full vaccine. But until then, we have to choose how many people get, get sick and debilitated and die. And there are people who are saying herd immunity. No, herd immunity, I want to repeat, does not work. And just for people who are not familiar, herd immunity is a theory that if enough people are, are uh, immune to it, then you can pre prevent transmission for the most part across the population. But that only works when you're at minimum 60%, but optimally 80% or more immune. And we're not even close to that. New York City, in the worst, worst, worst epidemic epicenter, only has 20% those who have tested positive for antibodies. And those who want us to do the plow-through approach and just, well, let's just get to 80. Well, you would basically multiply New York City by four times the mortality and that is just an astronomical amount of suffering because 
one in 500 New York City residents has already died. Residents, not just one in 500 people infected. We do not want to repeat New York City across the country. So please, no more talking of the herd immunity. And we have to focus on slowing this down. And again, we, we can't shut down forever. So if we want businesses to come back, we need to wear masks. And for AMC to say, well, you don't, want, you don't have to choose wear masks. Trust me, you, your businesses will crater way more that when you say, oh, you can choose to wear masks or not. Less people will want to come. It's like Jurassic Park. Uh, if you try to open Jurassic Park where the velociraptors are still roaming around, will people even come? If you open it, people will not really come back. And so the only way to solve it is to crush the curve with mask wearing. A few hours after we spoke with Dr. Ding, the AMC movie theater chain abruptly reversed their policy about making masks optional and is going to make mask wearing mandatory when it reopens in response to massive public outcry. So I guess Dr. Ding's analogy applies to both Jurassic Park and the theaters where it could be shown as well. This episode of the Dworkin Report is brought to you by Resistors Like You. We aim to keep this show independent for as long as we can. Visit DworkinReport.com to see how you can help out. One of the best ways is by hitting that contribute button in the top right and giving what you can. Thanks again for your support. Let's get back to the show. Yeah, I've seen bars and, and restaurants across the country shut down after one case tracks back to them and, and they shut down sometimes for good because of it because people won't go back there. So the risk is just yeah. just seems in, insane, uh, you know, with the yeah. with the death total right now, which is apparently, according to New York Times or at least, uh, opinion piece in the New York Times, you know, higher than than the one twenty one hundred twenty thousand uh, plus that, you know, have been stated by John Hopkins. I saw a study that said that the coronavirus death total would be lower if Trump acted earlier. Is that the truth? If, if Trump had acted earlier, would would we have been more prepared and, and would have been you know, would less Americans have died? Yeah, absolutely. And we know that if he had just acted two weeks earlier and back in March, we could have avoided 90% of this epidemic. 90%. Because this, this formula is, is exponential. Remember, this virus has an R naught between three and four. R naught being for every infected person, it infects three to four additional. And each of those three or four additional affects additional three or four additional. And if you can nip an exponential transmission like that early on, you can stop almost the entire epidemic. And that's actually what a lot of countries have done. This is why many countries did not even have such a peak like we have. They just basically were able to crush it very easily. I think the best example actually uh, in Europe is uh, the Czech Republic. They had mandatory mask wearing for everyone, and they had very short shutdown periods. And now the, the epidemic is gone, and now people don't need to wear masks anymore. People are outside. People, kids are in school learning again, all because they were compliant with masks. They listened to public health leaders, and now they can enjoy their life again. We were defiant with our rugged individualism, quote unquote, but now we're paying the price for our rugged individualism, and that is this little purgatory that we live in of this do we have an epidemic that's really bad or not? We're going to have a flare-up around the corner, whether it's Tulsa or the next MAGA rally. It is just, you know, it's nerve-wracking to have to live like this. 
and especially our kids being out of school and just suffering. Yeah, they told me, at least from what I've seen, that he's planning 30, 30 to 50 rallies between now and Election Day. And, and so I assume that that's probably not, not the best idea. It is, the, it is the worst idea in a long list of bad ideas and policies. Because it's one thing where you botched a reaction because you were slow initially in reacting where you could maybe argue, well, we just didn't know how bad it was. Now we know how bad it is, yet we are still committing ourselves to like a seppuku in which you're actually you know, gutting yourself and basically undermining all the work that we've done. So we've slowed the epidemic at a price for a couple trillion dollars in an economy and, you know, double-digit millions in unemployment. We paid a hefty price. Now, let's get our business economy running. But no, we're just going to have to undermine everything we've done. And, and once the resurgence hits back to where we had it in the peak, we will have basically lost all that money and resources and unemployment and suffering all for nothing. Because I think we're going to return to the peak of where we were earlier very soon at this rate. And so it, it is literally throwing money and energy and human suffering into the fire all at the same time. So are more state shutdowns inevitable or are they going to be extended from here? Uh, it is the, it is the worst yet to come. I think if, if states do not act, the worst is yet to come. Many governors right now are kind of like, you know, a wavering between, you know, should we put a mandatory mask rule? Should we do a lockdown? Gavin Newsom, unfortunately, put in a state mandatory mask, public mask wearing rule. Other states have it, but it's not well enforced. But Nebraska took the opposite approach. And the governor uh, basically said, hey, if any municipalities or local governments impose any mandatory mask rule, we will strip you of CARES relief funding. And that is just the worst thing. Like, first of all, I thought conservatives, governors believe in small government. But for them to basically create rules that you cannot do that is just mind-boggling. Greg Abbott of Texas also said no municipality is allowed to pass mandatory mask-wearing rules. And I have no idea why they're doing that, but they are just undermining themselves and shooting themselves in the foot and basically seeding a worse epidemic. And... I, I don't understand politically. I think a lot of these governors have pledged fealty to Trump and their position of reopen, reopen, regardless of what, at all costs. And I think American people will suffer. And I think history will judge them very poorly, to say the least. Yeah, I think when we look back at this, it's uh, we're going to be like, I, I don't know why they said this. Why were they trying to cover it up? Why were they trying to lie about it? Why were they trying to act like it would go away when it wasn't? Is it, is it fair to say political ideology will correlate with a higher or lower infection rate? I mean, I know, like, as in, l- l- let me explain, I guess, Republicans versus Democrats, because Democrats, most Democrats seem to be wearing masks and most Republicans seem to not be wearing masks. Like, is there going to be a correlation between more Republicans are going to get sick or is it 
there's not that not going to matter because you know uh, of the makeup of the people and the spreading or and whatnot because well, they could spread it to other people or is it too confusing? First of all, I would say that you know a lot of blue areas are more urban and the virus tends to spread in urban areas more. Having said that, I think in terms of the change going forward of the uh, epidemic, I think states with Republican governors who have a tendency to pledge loyalty to Trump will have, I think, potentially worse outcomes. And a Kaiser Foundation analysis, they've already done two analyses, one in April, one in June, and they've already shown that Republican states have a worse uh, trajectory, a, a change, a worse grade of growth of the epidemic. But I think it, ultimately it's, it's not a blue state, red state issue. This virus, the United States is like a leaky ship and it has like all these holes if you plug even half the holes, the, the ship will continue to sink because we don't have bulkheads between states. We don't have real borders. So, you know, if an epidemic flares up in a red state, it will leak over into a blue state for sure, guaranteed. So we're the United States of America. We have to act like a united country where we think of not just ourselves, but also our neighbors. It could be that red states with people who don't wear masks get sick but you know what they can still infect grandma grandpa aunts and uncles friends and uh, and other acquaintances that they meet who are spanning the entire political spectrum the outbreak does not care the virus is agnostic it will spread to whomever ultimately everyone will suffer so we're in the collective interest to stop this Tulsa rally and future rallies there's a lot of schadenfreude out there uh, among some liberals. And I, I think I, that's very narrow-minded. Like, oh, they'll get sick. It'll, you know, Darwin will mm-hmm. do its own thing. I, I think that's a very negative view because ultimately everyone will get sick if this epidemic gets out of hand. And, the, you know, I would say that the, the last question I have for you is probably, I don't want uh, uh, maybe the scariest question I've ever asked ever anybody. And I've asked a lot of, a lot of a lot of questions on the show. Uh, so, you know, I guess just for a reality check for people, h- how bad could it get if we stay on this scenario? Like, what is the worst case scenario here? Just so so people are aware. The worst case scenario, if we are not able to contain it. Well, this thing is going to keep burning until we get a vaccine. And by the way, a vaccine, we need a vaccine that um, will almost 80, 90% of the people will need to get. And that will take at least until summer of 2021 for everyone to get the vaccine, if not potentially even later. And if we don't keep it in check, if we don't wear the masks, and obviously shutdowns, it's it's very difficult to do long-term, but we don't wear the masks, we are talking about not just 150,000 deaths that we're approaching, we're talking about 300, 400,000 easily. 400,000 deaths is the number of deaths in all of World War II of, uh, by, by America. We, we could approach even almost a million if, if this thing keeps burning. Obviously, I hope we never reach that day, and I hope that we will contain it. Right now, at best, this is not going to stop until at least 200,000 deaths, and that's assuming we have a good mass compliance in place. But this could get really, really bad 
And in the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic, we talk about millions of people who died. And I hope, I hope and pray we never even come close to that. But it is not beyond the realm of possibility that this pandemic could be that bad if we are just completely laissez-faire and, and ignore it and just plow through and let it burn out because it will burn down half the economy along with it if we let, if we let, let it happen. And so please, 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 anyone attending the rally or anyone knowing them, beg them not to stay or at least wear a mask or listen from outside and please avoid such gatherings and encourage anyone who went to quarantine themselves for 14 days after they come back, do anything you can to minimize this. And I encourage every governor out there listening, please put mandatory public mask wearing rules in place. It is the least expensive thing, our healthcare system, our society, our economy that we can do so that we can hopefully send our kids back to school in the fall. But but if until we have mask wearing for 95% of the population, we're not going to be able to stop this epidemic and all of us will suffer. Dr. Ding, thank you so much for your time. Uh, you can follow Dr. Ding at DR, which is Dr. Uh, Eric Ding, E-R-I-C-D-I-N-G, a senior fellow for the Federation of American Scientists and a person who's been at Harvard for over 16 years. So I think it's it's important to listen to Dr. Ding. Make sure you follow him. We'll be uh, sending out uh, information uh, about him and uh, articles about him and, and things that he's been involved with along with the, this episode. But uh, please, please, please t- take him very seriously. This is not punditry. This is not any kind of spin. This is reality. So, so Dr. Ding, I really appreciate your time, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you very much. I'd like to thank Dr. Eric Ding for joining me. You can text him if you have any questions about the coronavirus whatsoever. You can text him at 703-552-5771. Again, it's 703-552-5771. Feel free to text him with any questions that you have about the coronavirus. I want to thank our producer, Grant Stern. You can follow him at Grant Stern. You can visit our website at dworkingreport.com. Thanks again for listening. Keep resisting. Onward!